Brought to you by the students at Mary Persons High School in conjunction with MPTV. This is Monroe County Schools Radio, exclusively on Magic 100 FM. In honor of the holidays, today's show will be a bit different from our typical broadcast. We are proud to team up with our friends at Gordon College and State University to bring you a radio production of A Christmas Carol. This production will be broken up into two acts. Today we share with you Act 1. Act 2 will air on December 20th on Magic 100 FM. You can catch both acts immediately following the broadcast on our newly launched podcast at www.anchor.fm slash mcsradio. And now, I proudly turn it over to Gordon State College theater professor and the director of this production, Lisa Chesnick Ferguson. My name is Lisa Chesnick Ferguson. Gordon State College is producing A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, adapted by Shannon Rood. We want to give special thanks to the Fine and Performing Arts Advisory Board and Gordon State College Theater for making this possible. Our cast, our ensemble, is as follows. Crescene Navarro, Hoba Duke, Aaron Layton, Dr. Bernie Anderson, Tammy Anderson, Jared Williams, Dr. Jessica Trailer, Gina Bombarderi, Austin Richard, Allie Quick, Curtis Brown, Jenna Thrasher Sneven, Justin Valentine, Dr. Ed Whitelock, Dr. Xavier Carteret, Madeline Brown, Tony Pearson, Larry Stormer, Angia Davis, Jenny Ola Emerson, and myself, Lisa Chesnick. And now, without further ado, we hope that you enjoy Act One of A Christmas Carol. Members of the ensemble enter and make their way to their places, chatting and evoking the sense of a street scene. Several call out selling wares or asking for change. Before we begin, we must tell you about Marley. Marley? You mean old Jacob Marley? What about him? That he was indeed dead. Molly was dead to begin with. Register of his burial was signed. By the clergyman. The clerk. The undertaker. And the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it. And Scrooge's name was good for anything he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley was dead. Marley and Scrooge had been partners for I don't know how many years. Scrooge was his sole executor. His sole administrator. Sole friend. Sole mourner. Therefore, there is no doubt that Marley was dead, and Scrooge knew it. This must be understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the story we are about to relate. Scrooge never painted out Marley's name on the business. There it stood, years afterward, above the warehouse door. Scrooge enters, passing by members of the ensemble as if through the street. Hmm, Scrooge, what words can be used to describe him? He was squeezing, wrenching, grasping. Scraping, clutching, covetous old man. No warmth could warm him. No cold could chill him. Nobody ever stopped him in the street to say, Scrooge, how are you? When will you come see me? No beggars implored him to bestow a trifle. No children asked him what it was o'clock. No man or woman ever once in all his life inquired the way to such and such a place. Bob Cratchit enters and sits at his desk. And this is the way Scrooge liked it. Warning all human sympathy to keep their distance was as gratifying to him as a warm blanket to a beggar on a midwinter's night. 
Scrooge reaches the destination of his desk and sits down to work. And now the time has come when we can enter our story and say, Once upon a time, on what was a rather bleak and foggy Christmas Eve, Scrooge sat busy in his counting house. Scrooge kept his door slightly ajar so that he may keep an eye on his clerk, who sat huddled over his papers, attempting to warm himself at the candle. Scrooge's nephew, Fred, enters, unseen by Scrooge. He creeps up to his desk. A Merry Christmas, Uncle. God save you. Ah, humbug. Christmas a humbug, Uncle. Surely you don't mean it. I do. Merry Christmas. What right have you to be merry? What reason do you have to be merry? You're poor enough. And what right have you to be so dismal? You're rich enough. Bah, humbug. Don't be cross, uncle. What else can I be when I live in such a world of fools as this? What's Christmas time for you but a time for paying bills without money? A time for finding yourself a year older and not an hour richer? If I had my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas upon his lips should be boiled in his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. You keep Christmas in your way and let me keep it in mine. Keep it? But you don't keep it. You don't keep it. Let me leave it alone then. Much good it may do you. There are many things from which I might have derived good, by which I have not profited. I always saw Christmas time as, as a good time. A kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time. The only time in the long calendar year when men and women seem by one consent to open their shuttered hearts freely. To think of people they may deem below them as if they really were fellow travelers to the grave and not another race of creatures bound on other journeys. Though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe it has done me good and will do me good. And I say God bless it. Bob Cratchit applauds. Immediately, sensing the impropriety of his actions, the clerk turned to poke the fire and accidentally extinguished the last frail spark forever. Let me hear another sound from you and you'll keep your Christmas by losing your situation. Powerful speaker, sir. I wonder you don't go into Parliament. Don't be angry, Uncle. Come and dine with us tomorrow. No. Why ever not? Look, I want nothing from you. I ask nothing from you. Why can't we not be friends? Good afternoon. Sorry to find you so resolute. We've never had any quarrel that I know of. I've come to you in honor of Christmas. I'll, I'll keep my Christmas humor to the last. So, a Merry Christmas, Uncle. Good afternoon. And a Happy New Year. Good afternoon. As Fred exits, two solicitors enter. Scrooge and Marley's, I believe. Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Mr. Marley's been dead for seven years. He died seven years ago this very night. Well, at this festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute who suffer greatly at the present time. Many thousands are in want of common necessaries. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common cuffing, sir. Are there no prisons? Well, plenty, but... And the union workhouses, are they still in operation? They are, though I dare say... Oh, I was afraid from what you said at first that something had occurred to stop their functioning. I'm very glad to hit it. However, these 
a few of us are in endeavoring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and some drink and means of warmth. We choose this time because it is a time of all others when want is keenly felt and abundance rejoices. What shall I put you down for? Scrooge shakes his head. Nothing. You wish to remain anonymous? I wish to be left alone. I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I cannot afford to make idle people merry. My taxes support the prisons and the workhouses. They cost enough. And those who are badly off must go there. Many can go there, and many would rather die. If they would rather die, then they had better do it and decrease the surplus population. It's enough for a man to understand his own business and not to interfere with other people's. Mine occupies me constantly. Good afternoon, gentlemen. They leave. A young caroler comes to the door. God bless ye, merry gentlemen, may nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. O oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, O oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Scrooge walks to the door, opens it suddenly, and with a fearful grimace, scares the young caroler away. Be gone. He returns to his desk. At length, the hour of shutting up the counting house arrived. With obvious ill will, Scrooge tacitly informs Cratchit that it is closing time. You'll want all day tomorrow, I suppose. If quite convenient, sir. It's not convenient, and it's not fair. If I was to stop half a crown for it, you'd think yourself mightily ill-used, I'll be bound. Yes, sir. And yet you don't think me ill-used when I pay a day's wage for no work? It's only once a year, sir. Poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. Be here all the earlier the next morning. Yes, indeed, sir. Scrooge exits with a growl and proceeds through the street to his home. The office was closed in a twinkling, and the clerk ran home joyously, eager to begin the reverie of neighborhood games already afoot. Bob Cratchit exits. Scrooge lived in chambers which had once belonged to his deceased partner. They were a gloomy suite of rooms in a dreary building nobody lived in but Scrooge. Now there was nothing at all peculiar about the knocker on the door. Scrooge had seen it night and morning during his whole residence in that place. Let it also be borne in mind that Scrooge had not been bestowed one thought on Marley since his brief mention of him that afternoon. So how could it have happened that Scrooge, having his key in the lock of the door, saw in the knocker, without its undergoing, any intermediate process of change? Not a knocker, but... Marley's face. His eyes wide open and perfectly motionless. His skin a sickly livid color. His ghostly spectacles turned up on his ghostly forehead. Yet, no sooner had Scrooge beheld the phenomenon and felt the full horror of it, when suddenly it was but a knocker again. Scrooge, who has been much astonished, now makes motions of shaking it off and continues through the door, then pauses looking cautiously behind it. Scrooge continues into the house. As he settles himself for the night, 
He walks around to see that all is all right, as if looking to find another face somewhere. When he's finally satisfied, he turns to lock the door. Scrooge double locked the door, which was not his custom. Thus secured against surprise, he took off his cravat, put on his dressing gown and slippers and his nightcap, and sat down before a very low fire to take his gruel. As he threw his head back in his chair, his glance happened to rest upon a bell, a disused bell that hung in the room and communicated for some purpose now forgotten with a chamber in the highest story of the building. Which was unoccupied. You might then imagine his inexplicable dread when, as he looked, the bell begins to ring, softly at first, and then louder and louder as it is joined by all the bells in the house. After a pause of silence, a low clanking sound is heard, which gradually gets louder. Humbug! This is... I won't believe it! His color changed, though, when, without a pause, it came through the heavy door and passed into the room before his eyes. Marley's ghost enters. The face was the very same as had hovered about the door knocker's place. The very same. Jacob Marley. His body was transparent so that Scrooge could see the two buttons on his coat behind. Scrooge had often heard it said that Marley had no bowels, but he'd never believed it until now. What do you want with me? Much. Marley's voice, no doubt about it. Who are you? Ask me who I was. Who were you then? In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Can you, can you sit down? I can. Do it then. Scrooge asked the question because he didn't know whether a ghost so transparent might find himself in a condition to take a chair. He felt that in the event of its being impossible, it might involve the necessity of an embarrassing explanation. But the ghost sat down. You don't believe in me. I don't. Marley's ghost lets out a frightful cry <laughs> and shakes his chains. He then unwraps the bandage around his head and his lower jaw drops down. Mercy, dreadful apparition. Why do you trouble me? Man of the worldly mind, do you believe in me or not? I do, I must. But why do spirits walk the earth, and why do they come to me? It is required of every soul that the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow man and travel far and wide. And if that spirit goes not forth in life, it is condemned to do so after death. You are fettered. Tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard. I girded it on my own free will. Would you know the weight and length of the strange coil you bear yourself? It was full as heavy and as strong as this seven Christmas Eve ago. You have labored on it since. It is a ponderous chain. Jacob, oh Jacob Marley, tell me more. Speak comfort to me, Jacob. I have none to give. Rary journeys lie before me. In life, my spirit never walked beyond our counting house. My spirit never roved beyond our money-changing hole. 
and now I cannot rest. I cannot linger anywhere. I am doomed to wander through the world and witness what it cannot share, but might have shared on earth. Roaming so, you might have got over a great quantity of ground in seven years. Oh, blind man, not to know that no space of regret can make amends for one life's opportunities misused. Yet I was once like this man. You were always a good man of business, Jacob. Business? Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the ocean of my business. Marley's ghost holds up the chain and throws it upon the floor. At this time of year, I suffer most. Why do I walk through the crowds of fellow beings with my eyes, eyes turned down and never raise them to that blessed star which led the wise man to the poor abode? Hear me, my time is nearly gone. I will, but don't be hard upon me. How is it that I appear before you in a shape you can see? I may not tell. I have sat invisible beside you many and many a day. Scrooge shivers. I'm here to warn you that you have a chance and hope of escaping my fate. A chance of my procuring, Ebenezer. You were always a good friend to me. You'll be visited by three spirits. That is the chance and hope you mentioned? It is. I, I think I'd rather not. Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I have tread. Expect the first tomorrow when the bell tolls one. Expect the second on the next night at the same hour. The third upon the next night when the last stroke of twelve has ceased to reverberate. Look to see me no more. For your own sake, you remember what has passed between us. Marley's ghost walks backward toward the window and then beckons Scrooge to approach. Scrooge slowly walks toward him, and Marley motions suddenly for him to come no closer, but to look through the window. The air was filled with phantoms, wandering in restless haste, and moaning as they went. Every one of them wore chains like Marley's ghost. None were free. After an effective beat, the voices slowly fade into the wind. Whether these creatures faded into mist or mist surrounded them, he could not tell. But they and their spirit voices faded together and the night became as it had been when he walked home. Scrooge abruptly closes the window. He tries to say humbug, but only manages a feeble. <sighs> he collapses on his bed and falls asleep. When Scrooge awoke, it was so dark that he could not distinguish the window from the walls of his chamber. He found himself immediately in remembrance of the events preceding his sleep and commenced to ponder it in his mind, as if by way of the journey of thought, he might hopefully arrive at the conclusion that none of it had occurred. Light comes into the room suddenly, and the ghost of Christmas past appears. Curtains of Scrooge's bed were drawn aside and he found himself face to face with the unearthly visitor who drew them. Are you the spirit whose coming was foretold me? I am. Who and what are you? I am the ghost. 
of Christmas past. Long past? No, your past. The things that you will see with me are shadows of the things that have been. They will have no consciousness of us. What business brings you here, spirit? Your welfare. Rise, walk with me. The ghost leads him towards the window. I am mortal. I'm liable to fall. Bear but a touch of my hand. Lays hand upon his heart. And you shall be upheld in more than this. As the words were spoken, they passed through the wall and stood upon an open country road with fields on either hand. Good heavens! I was bred in this place. I was a boy here. Suddenly, he was conscious of a thousand odors floating in the air, each one connected with a thousand thoughts and hopes and joys and cares long, long forgotten. Several children run past them laughing and playing and wishing each other. <laughs> we see Scrooge smile for the first time. Why, these were my classmates. John, Elizabeth. These are but shadows of things that have been. They have no consciousness of us. They walk over to where a boy sits reading at a desk. Scrooge is visibly shaken by the sight. Not a latent echo in the house. Not a squeak and scuffle from the mice behind the paneling. Not a sigh among the leafless boughs of one despondent poplar. Not a clicking in the fire, but fell upon the heart of Scrooge with a softening influence and gave a freer passage to his tears. Let us see another Christmas. The scene shifts, though still in the same schoolroom. An older boy replaces the younger, the exuberant voice of a young girl, Scrooge's sister, Fanny, can be heard. Brother, dear, I've come to bring you home. She runs in, hugging him. He responds <laughs> awkwardly. Home, little Sam? Yes, home for good and all. Father is so much kinder than he used to be. I wasn't even afraid to ask him once if you might come home, and he said yes, and sent me in a coach to bring you, and you're to be a man. You never need come back here. But first, we're to be get together all Christmas long. You're quite a woman, little fan. She hugs him again, and they <laughs> leave together. Always a delicate creature whom my breath might have withered, but she had a large heart. So she had. You're right. I will not again say it, spirit. God forbid. She died a woman and had children. One child. Your nephew. Yes. The scene shifts. The desks of the classroom drifted away, and they found themselves in the busy thoroughfares of the city. The ghost leads Scrooge to a door. Do you know this place? Know it? Was I not apprenticed here? They appear to enter the building and encounter an elderly gentleman sitting at a desk. Why, it's old Fezziwig! Bless his heart! It's Fezziwig, alive again! Fezziwig lays down his pen, looks up at the clock, and laughs heartily. What ho, my boys! No more work tonight! It's Christmas Eve, Dick! Christmas, Ebenezer! Let's have the shutters up before a man can say Jack Robinson! Clear away, me lads! Scrooge's former self, now a young man, enters along with a fellow apprentice, Dick Wilkins. They begin to clear the room and create a dance floor. Dick Wilkins, my old fellow apprentice. Bless me, yes, there he is. 
He was very attached to me, you know. In came a fiddler with a music book, tuning his instrument like 50 stomach aches. In came Mrs. Fezziwig, one vast, substantial smile. In came all the young men and women employed in the business. In came the cook, the milkman, the boy from across the way. In they all came. Three cheers for Fezziwig, the founder of the revelry. Hip, hip, hooray! 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 Hip, hip, hooray! hooray! Several other random cheers of thanks and appreciation are heard throughout the group. A small matter to make these silly folks so full of gratitude. Small? Is it not? He has spent but a few pounds of your mortal money. As each member says their line, they raise a glass toward Fezziwig. He has the power to render us happy or unhappy. To make our service light or burdensome. A pleasure or a toil. Say that his power lies in words and looks. In things so slight and insignificant. That it is impossible to count them up. The happiness he gives is quite as great as if it cost a fortune. What's the matter? Nothing particular. I should like to be able to say a word or two to my clerk just now. That is all. The party slowly disbands. My time grows short. The scene transitions to another place. Scrooge is slightly older now. He sits on a bench with a young woman, Belle. It matters little, to you very little. Another idol has displaced me. And if it can comfort you in times to come, as I have tried to do, I have no just cause to grieve. What idol has displaced you? A golden one. You fear the world too much. I've seen your noble aspirations fall off one by one until the master passion gain engrosses you. But I am not changed towards you. Have I ever sought release from our engagement? In words, no. In what then? In a changed nature, in an altered spirit. If you were free today, I do not think that you would choose a dowerless girl. Or choosing her, I believe your repentance and regret would surely follow. So I release you with a full heart for the love of him you once were. May you be happy in the life you have chosen. Belle exits. Spirit, show me no more. Conduct me home. One shadow more. No more. I don't wish to see it. Show me no more. The ghost takes his arm and forces him to watch the next scene. They were suddenly in another scene and place, a room not very large, but full of comfort. There sat a young girl by the fire, so much like the one he had just seen, until he saw the real her, now much older, yet still beautiful, sitting next to her. Several children enter the room laughing and playing very uproariously. They tag the two women and they get They play like this for a moment and then there's a knock at the door. Everyone rushes around to appear civilized as the older woman goes to answer the door. It is the father of the house, attended by a porter overladen with Christmas gifts. As soon as they enter the room, the children let loose again in excitement over the presents. Father, this one's mine. Look, look. Look. All right, children, up to bed with you. We can open them in the morning. One can't have Christmas morning without a proper sleep first. On up with you now. They reluctantly go, all except the eldest girl. Suddenly, Scrooge looked on more attentively than ever when the master of the house, having his daughter leaning fondly on him, 
sat down with her and her mother at the fireside. And when he thought that such another creature, quiet and graceful and as full of promise, might have called him father and been a springtime in the haggard winter of his life, his sight grew very dim indeed. Belle, saw an old friend of yours this afternoon. Who was it? Guess. How can I guess? I don't know. Mr. Scrooge? Mr. Scrooge it was. I passed his office window. He had a candle inside. I could just make out his face and as he sat working at his desk. And there he sat alone, I do believe. Behit, remove me from this place. I told you, these were shadows of the things that have been. They are what they are. Do not blame me. Looking at the ghost, it seemed to Scrooge that in its face, in some strange way, there were fragments of all the faces it had shown him. Leave me. Haunt me no longer. The ghost slowly exits, his gaze never leaving Scrooge. Scrooge, then relieved, falls exhausted back into his bed. Conscious of being exhausted and overcome by an irresistible drowsiness, Scrooge sank into a heavy sleep. We invite you to join us next week to catch Act 2 of A Christmas Carol. Happy holidays to you and your family. Thank you for tuning in to Monroe County Schools Radio, exclusively on Magic 100 FM. Have a great week. Remember to be a champ. And as always, go dogs. The thoughts expressed in this segment represent Monroe County Schools.